0: Hello and welcome to the Magnetic Woman podcast. I'm Pandora Paloma, a quantum transformation and business coach using a fusion of spirituality meets strategy for feminine leaders, spiritual entrepreneurs, and visionaries. My mission is to help female entrepreneurs find their truth and step into their greatness boldly and unapologetically and create businesses that feel like home. I help women access and accelerate their magnetism by bridging the gap between who they truly are and who they present as to the world, because from this space of wholeness, we find our power, our potential, our voice, and our liberation. This show is for the multidimensional woman with a big, bold vision for more wealth, more impact, more expression, and more freedom. Each episode takes you on a journey of expansion across my five pillars of quantum transformation. Self, vision, expansion, embodiment and magnetism. Some are solo and some are with industry leaders who are playing the same game, changing the conversation about women's success, money, power and pleasure. I'm a mum of one, music lover, love maker, and all-round magnetism activator. Tune in and welcome to my world of magnetism.
1: I am super super thrilled. To introduce today's guest for the Magnetic Woman podcast, certified coach, breathwork facilitator, ordained shamanic minister, an all-round all-round awesome human. Firstly, introduce yourself, Amanda. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Who are you? Who are and what's your story?
2: <laughs> oh, great to be here. Uh, so, yeah, as you mentioned, I am a coach yoga teacher, not practicing at the moment, breathwork facilitator and ordained shamanic minister. And I guess it feels important to note as well, underpinning all my work is being trauma aware, um, which, yeah, feels feels really close to my heart, the subject of trauma. Uh, but the majority of my work is being a coach and guide to all people through all walks of life.
1: Beautiful. Can you explain what is an ordained shamanic minister for those listening who might be like, "Eh?" (laughs) huh?
2: Sure. So I've been through a series of initiations, uh, both planned and unplanned, uh, which enable me to uh, hold weddings or funerals or uh, the birth of babies and hold those proceedings and it underpins all of my work uh, alongside being trauma aware and it's a way of life it's not a religion it's not a cult it's a way to live and I didn't actually even know uh, what shamanism was until uh I was sitting around the fire once a long, long, long time ago at a festival. I feel like so much magic happens at festivals and there, there was a lady there with a drum and she was looking into the fire, banging her drum. And I was like, who are these bunch of hippies? Like, what am I even doing here? You know, it wasn't like this rock and roll festival that I would have normally have gone to. And I was like, why am I here? Like there's only vegan food and, you know, there's these really weird people running around. Uh, And she, I was, I just started being captured by this drumming and the woman said to me here, like this drum wants you to play it. And I was like, what does that even mean? So I took the drum and I started drumming and I went into a trance. And I don't know how much time went by, but it felt like hours. And when I came out of it, everyone in the circle was just captivated by this drumming. We're all staring into the fire. And I knew something had happened, like something had changed in that space. And then, uh, yeah, a man came over to me and was like, oh, how long have you been practicing shamanism for? And I was like, what is that? What What are you talking about? And that's kind of where the journey began and the um, discovery and exploration. And um, yeah, wonderful, wonderful journey, big journey. FIRE yeah.
1: is and has been a big part of your journey. Your company is built from the FIRE. Talk to me about other experiences where FIRE has played a part in, I suppose, your own awakening and transformation and the journey to, you know, how you practice now?
2: Well, I think fire, it's, it's the first element. It's where everything else derives from. Uh, And fire is a burning of what we think we know. And I think there's so many people who are so sure of their ignorance in this world and so sure of their ideas and hold so tightly to what they think they know that there's very limited scope and possibility for newness being born. And uh, fire is, it's such a transformational element. And I use it in a lot of my rituals, in a lot of my practices. When I'm working with my clients, often they'll go away and burn something. uh, And yeah, fire seems to come up a lot as a symbol. A lot of transformation comes when I'm set around a fire or I meet people around a fire. I love it. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's played a big role in my life
1: of late. Um, and, you know, it's funny, even I've just moved it from the kitchen to the, um, to the lounge, but when I'm done for the day and the natural light of the day goes down, like I can't yeah. not sit in a room without the flickering of candles. There's just something so ritualistic and it's it's like an honor of the seasons and the mini seasons within the seasons, like the season of my day. that um, mm-hmm. just has such a profound effect of like, ah, oh, and now is the time to rest and restore and to, you know, oh just yeah, even just speaking, speaking to it, just you know, it's so powerful.
2: There's so many metaphors on fire because of its power. Like if you think about the fire in your belly, it's it really describes passion and love and a burning for something that's bigger than yourself. I think that's, I love fire. I think it's poetry.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I would love to know more about your own journey of awakening. Obviously, you know, in your work, you support people on their, their journey of awakening. But where did that start for you?
2: Hmm. So I remember being really, really small and laying in bed and just crying and not knowing why, like what some of my earliest memories are of, of crying at night for hours and just not really knowing, you know, feeling like there was something wrong with me. Cause I really, I just didn't understand the world that I was living in. I noticed that a lot of adults would talk, but they weren't saying what was inside them. Um, You know, that their words weren't matching the truth of of what I could see. And I could see things within people. I could tell if people were unwell, uh, whether that be in the mind or the body, And it was just confusing because I was like, okay, I can see all these things. Why can't other people? And when I talk about it, I got very strange reactions. Uh, So I really, I shut it down for a long time. And I think that anything that we suppress sits and it grows and it festers and if we don't allow things up and out to be looked at, or when we we are not living our truth, then the truth eventually finds a way. <laughs> Feels a bit like Jurassic Park. <laughs> Life finds a way, but it does. Our the things that sit within our subconscious mind, they eventually float to the surface, and uh, I mean. I used alcohol for a long time, you know, in my teen years to to make me feel normal and to to fit within this myth of normal as Gabo Mate talks about. Uh, but it wasn't until I was working in the corporate world, I kind of had this hotshot job where I was responsible for a lot of people um, and the fate of a lot of people. And uh, working nine till six, Monday to probably Saturday and just doing all this work. And I remember being in a HR meeting and it kind of clicked. I hadn't really thought about it before. They were reducing people to like numbers on a screen and, and dollar signs. And they referred to, there was no context of people's humanity and they referred to people as human capital. And I just remember being like, what? Like what, is, like, what is this? Like, I had this cold sensation that started from the top of my head. I went all the way down to my body and all the way down to my toes. And I was like, I was scared because I realized that everything that I knew, everything that I built, was just a complete lie. Like, it wasn't my true reality and um i just remember from that moment i was like you know what i'm going to build my own thing and i'm going to do it on their time and i'm just going to see how long i can do it for <laughs> until they either you know fire me or what i do gets too big to stay here and i remember like narrowing my job down, my actual corporate down, corporate job down to 17 minutes a week, I'd go home to my then husband and he'd be like, how many minutes have you got it down to now? And I'd be like, ah, 25 minutes. Or, And I was managing to do this corporate job in the space of 17 minutes a week. And then all of the rest of my time, I was just learning who I was. I'd go out on big walks around parks and I'd sit in nature and I'd be like, what do I want to do? And at at the time, I'd already trained as a coach um, through my work. And then I just started getting clients and it started building itself until I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like who I am in that life doesn't fit with who I really am. And then, I mean, it's the classic, the job went, the husband went, (laughs) the house went. Um, a lot of friends went, habits changed and it was that stripping back of everything that really wasn't, wasn't feeling in alignment with who I really was, uh, to, to, I guess the person that sits in front of you today. Yeah. Oh, it's so powerful. It's
1: actually brought me to tears. Because, you know, so much of what you share feels so true for mm-hmm. the, te- the bigger turning point for me and, you know, top of my game, big team. Um, and I remember sort of like being sat in that. In fact, the 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 big change was um, I was working on a big corporate campaign for Hugo Boss for children in Africa. We had Orlando Bloom and Sienna Miller as the face and... And then, you know, my other client was Lacoste and they're the same company, right? It's Procter & Gamble. And there was £30,000 that we had to spend in the Lacoste part. And I was like, well, we're doing this big campaign for kids in Africa. Like, let's just put the money in that pot, right? It's the same company. It's Procter & Gamble. Just put the money. Oh, no, we can't do that. And so I ended up spending that 30000 on like first class flights for the like, fucking PR." woman who is like not the kindest of women, let's be fair. Um, and like four bloggers, like blogger, like bloggers, which okay, I get at the time was like, blogging was a thing. I was like, this is fucking ridiculous. Like it made me so sick to have to be on that plane. Of course I was in economy. Um, <laughs> and just like, just like schmooze these people, when I was Mm. like, but this is really sick. Like 30,000 pounds could do so much for these children in Africa. And it's just bullshit. Like I couldn't actually, it was such a crisis for me. And I remember like sitting in the therapy chair, some friends of mine were like, you're not yourself. You need to get some help. And I would just said like, I don't know who I am anymore. I do not know who I am.
2: Mm, that is That is such a catalyst and something I hear so often when people come to me, they say, I feel lost. I don't know who I am. And it's because we, we're swept along by this version of perfection of, and of how life should be. And there's these boxes that we tick and conditioning that we learn along the way. And it's just, it gets to a point where it's excruciating to actually be that version of yourself that you've built I remember I remember working and one day we we had names on a board and I remember the person who was in charge of operations looking at the list of people and being like if they're pregnant or disabled put them on the list for redundancy and I was like I just remember thinking I I work for the devil (laughs) like I work or the like this crazy. <laughs> like, I am, I couldn't be any further removed from the tr- like my true essence. Yeah, yeah. I really wish that for
1: anyone listening, if you can only imagine <laughs> those faces right now, we're like, oh, you know, it's just wow. Yeah, but 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 I feel like I'm so grateful to have experienced that even though it was like a solid minimum two years of like what felt like complete despair because it was the turning point you know Mm. I had to really and you you know we all get to meet a different version of ourselves but only when we find ourselves in that place of being you know I I don't know who, who I am you know and there's a refinding and a that in itself gets to be so beautiful mm. mostly in hindsight
2: <laughs> yeah i mean it definitely took some time to really you know i mean the, the reason i mentioned the comment is because i think it still sits with me and i think it took away a lot it it was like it killed the last remaining naive parts of myself that thought i was doing good in this company or or this company actually cared and i was like okay thank you for that comment because you've actually, I'm course correcting now. Yeah. And like you say, it's brought me to exactly where I, where I am here. So bless it.
1: Yeah. So tell me how you support people in their own awakening, what they come to you for, of course, I'm sure, you know, feeling lost is, is part of that, but what's the process, what's the journey and, and I suppose why, you know, I know you know, I, I feel your spirit and the and the deep purpose that you know and the deep impact that you desire to have. But why do you believe it's so important now to support people through this awakening?
2: Uh, i think I think it's important now more than ever, because I see a lot of people losing hope. I think there's a lot of fear going around the world. There's fear about the planet, about, the climate, about humanity and AI and things that are very like existential. So they're not things that we feel that we can fix or maybe directly have impact on. But I think it's all of these things are a reflection of humanity's psyche. And the that planet, the planet that we live on being a reflection of our mass psyche is okay, well, We've created these challenges so we can we can create the healing of the world. And um, this we've we've built a world that's based on a lot of myths, myths of consumption, of politics, of ideology, of how business is supposed to look. There's all these cages that we've constructed around ourselves. and people are, waking up to the fact that actually we're wildish beings, we are soulful beings, and we need to honour all parts of ourselves, the wildish part. We need to be in touch with our soul. And when we are in touch with our soul, then everybody can live the truest expression of who they are and we will live in a much more peaceful, open-minded kinder place. But at the moment it's it's very individualistic. And I think that shift is happening. Uh I see it happening. I see it happening every time I work with someone, I see it happening uh in podcasts that I listen to through your work and people that I look up to and admire. And I know that we are living in the age of reclamation. We are reclaiming our wholeness. So that feels like why it's important. Yeah. Beautiful. And what about your, your process? Like, you know,
1: what, what is the magic? What is your magic? You know, what's your gifts, your superpowers?
2: Uh, I think humor actually is definitely one of my superpowers. I think that I love so fiercely. Like I really love my clients. I remember doing my coach training and um, it's it was a very rigorous, like it went for years. This coach training, it was fantastic, so thorough. I loved it, but I remember them giving us a lot of rules. They were like, "Okay, you can't take notes, and you can't tell your clients that you love them, and you know, avoid showing emotion to your clients." And I think about the best, the best sessions I've had is where I've sat and I've shed a tear for my client because they're doing amazing things in the world. They're bringing their gifts to life and they're just astounded by their own magic. Or I've shed a tear because I can feel how much trauma is coming up and out of them and through them and how much release is happening and how much they're being liberated. And so I think the magic is weaving the mind-body-soul connection. I think if we do Everything within the mind through something like therapy, it's very limiting. I think if we only go and do yoga again, it's very limiting because we're not connecting to the mind. And if we only do energetic work, say if we only did Reiki, we'd be missing out on the part of ourselves that wants to logically think it through and talk it out. And um, so weaving all of those together feels really, really important. Uh, I just, I love my job. I love it. I think that's the magic. I absolutely adore it. I get excited to jump on a call with a client. uh, And I think about my clients outside of sessions. I do prayers for them. I, yeah, I love it. I love my job. It's such
1: a good feeling. Such a good feeling. And, you know, people can see it. I can see it in you right now. And I can, you know, I see it when I watch you online. It's like there's that resonance, you know? Like, you know, the people who are so truly, truly devoted and there's nothing like it, you know, it's just nothing like it. Um, You touched on um, humour, right? And it's something, you know, I shared with you earlier. I was like, I really want to speak to this. Something I've witnessed and I truly believe that when it comes to shamans, um, you know, my shaman teachers, shamanic teachers are so funny. And I, I I feel like it's that ability to hold humor at the core of their practice because, you know, ultimately what you're holding and and helping people move through as a shame is, is rawness. Um, and I know, you know, in our relationship, there's just so, there's always so much humor. And, you know, whenever I go on your feed, I will be belly laughing for, you know... <laughs> for an hour. And sometimes it's like, I laugh and laugh and laugh and then I like put it down and then like I'll be washing up and I'm like, <laughs> you know, does, it, does that land with you? And why, why do you think it's so important? And yeah, t- give me your take on that.
2: Well, I think I noticed, what I noticed when I first began this journey is that a lot of people, they take themselves very seriously and Look, don't get me wrong. I I really hold my work with humble hands and I I really, you know, hold it with respect. But I think people hold on to their opinions, their feelings, their ideas so tightly these days. And a lot of the issues that we're seeing in the world is that people are so so keen to hold on to what they think they know. This binary thinking. And um, with binary perspective, it means that there's no opportunity for something greater to come through. And one of the highest vibrations uh, that sits alongside love is divine humor. And divine humor has this way of breaking down walls, of allowing other people who are going through something really difficult, really challenging to, it's like, you put your arm around them and you're like okay let's go together and let's let's see whatever comes up and knowing that there's this energy of when when you've been through this we're going to have a laugh about it and i think you know everything that i do the underpinning energy of it is fun like it's very serious work i i work with people with all kinds of trauma, who've had horrible things happen to them. However, when you are able to hold it lightly, to hold it gently, and to hold it with the respect it deserves, people can go deeper in. I think they know, if they know that you have this kindness, this compassion, this respect, but also this lightness, if you can hold this lightness for them, then people can go deeper because they know that when they come up, there'll be this warm embrace that feels so good uh, on the other side of the journey. Um, and one of my values is play. So I want to play. I, d- I don't want everything to be to be serious. Uh, and in my the training that I do, we play a lot and we have fun and we laugh and, and we're silly because like you say, there's this, there's this spectrum of rawness and vulnerability and, and um, there's a lot of devastation sometimes in trauma of what's been lost. So the polarity of that is seeing the cosmic joke in everything as well. Um, There's so much divinity and humor.
1: Yeah, beautiful. So wholeheartedly,
2: wholeheartedly agree. So, can we talk? Let's talk trauma. How,
1: how does how do you find it shows up most in the work that you do? Um, what do people need to know? What's your take on trauma? Um, yeah, give me a give me a riff on,
2: on trauma. So I believe that everybody has some form of trauma. Um, a lot of people see trauma as a mystical thing and, um, you know, practitioners sometimes like to gatekeep it as, as, uh, a thing that's untouchable and, and scary. And there's no unified description on what trauma is. So I think it, <laughs> it can be traumatizing for people to not even <laughs> like, what is trauma? Do I have a, um, how do I work with it? And a lot of people think it's, you know, there's a a lot of different descriptions, but there's a subconscious wounding that occurs typically from an external place that impacts our life and it impacts our behaviour and it manifests in shadow. So we can see it uh, created in different patterns in our lives. We might say, oh, well, I can't meet a particular partner. I'm looking for this partner for so long and it just won't happen for me. And in that pattern playing out, there can often be a shadow present that contains trauma. Shadow only has power when we don't bring it to the light. Once it comes to the light, we can call it our ego. Okay, so that's my ego. And then we can work with it and we can unpack it. and. Uh, trauma doesn't have to be this scary thing that we keep from the world uh, and, and carry around ourselves. I think that it's a golden opportunity to unlock and to create the life that we would love uh, there's, there's a lot of myths around trauma as well. There's a lot of people who talk about ancestral healing and ancestral trauma. And, you know, it ends with me, this pattern that my parents passed down, it ends with me. And I just, I smile to myself because that's fantastic. And and there's truth to that. We can like, um, patterns can end with you, but you will fuck off your children <laughs> in new ways. And that's not, that's not something to blame or, um, it's not something to be afraid of, but we, we create dysfunctional p- patterns with our children, between our friends, with our partners. Uh, so it's really about noticing when patterns have been created and unlocking them and allowing them to heal. Yeah, absolutely. I really love that.
1: Um, Certainly, like as a as a mother, (laughs) I know that, you know, I'm gonna be as conscious as I can, but I'm also gonna get stuff wrong. And she's also gonna be okay. Right. There's this real openness of like, you know, I make a real effort, like today, for example, putting up her wardrobe, which I'm doing for her, but I'm realizing it wasn't the funnest of days for her. So I was like, I'm really sorry that you know you've had to be really patient today and I was doing it for you but obviously it's been in about a bit of a roundabout way and she's like it's okay mummy," you know and I feel like actually I just want to I know I'm going to get it I know today she could have made it mean something right of like well mummy's present she's here she's in the room but she's not present and what she could make that mean but I'm like I'm also going to call myself out on that and it's just this, you know, n- not wanting to, you know, do harm, but of course we, you know, we do. We're, there's a humanness, right, that we get to bring to everything. And I know, certainly, for you know, some of the things that I see, you know, any kind of working with women in, in business is, you know, they don't. There's this, but I had a really good life. But my parents were great parents. But and 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 so when you are uncovering things, it's almost like a guilt that. Oh, but, but, but I meant to have had it, but it was perfect. And, and this sort of breakdown of, but there were still things that you made things mean or there were still things that felt traumatic at the time. Right. And that, so you're still holding and, and I think that's where it can, or the idea of trauma and the moving through trauma can get sticky. Right.
2: Yeah. I, I, so many people I work with, they say to me, I don't have trauma. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then, you know, a couple of sessions in, so they're like, oh, I just, I every time I go for something, I just don't get it. And I'm like, ha, huh, I wonder what that is. <laughs> and we go into it. And there's a, there's a, there's a pattern that was created from trauma of not getting what you want. And it and I I mean, just for myself, I remember wanting to go on the back of a jet ski at Sun set and in these like crazy waves. And I remember being told that I wasn't allowed to. And that was a really sensible decision by my family. Yet that traumatized, I created this story that I can't have what I want. So then I played that out till my like mid twenties thinking like, I can't have what I want. I can't have what I want because I wasn't allowed to go on this like jet (laughs) ski. And it was the, it was the definite right decision, but it fucked me up. But did did my mum and dad want that to happen? Absolutely not. They were protecting me. But, and this is what I mean, you know, we make it mean something often about either, you know, what we've done in the past or what our parents did to us. And true power comes from ownership of the present moment of like, okay, well, where am I at now? And where do I want to go? And what do I want to let go of? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that letting go of piece is so important, isn't it? You know, like actually, in order to get, I'm thinking from like the, you know, manifestation, energetics, calling in point of view, people take so much attention to like focusing on the vision and not the kind of 70% that's required to focus on what's actually stopping you reaching that vision you know like because they don't want to go there (laughs) again why you know deep healing gets to be gets to be like because it's like cool like you know keep ascending sweetheart go 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 and it's like (laughs) in shamanics it's like you know literally get in the ground you know go bury yourself
2: in (laughs) a few days (laughs) so true yeah
1: yeah exactly so you talk in your work um, about bridging the gap between spiritual healing and therapy. Can you explain that a little bit more?
2: Yeah, so I think I first started noticing this uh, about 14 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, people coming to me saying, I've been in therapy for, you know, 6, 8, 10 years, and I'm just... You know, I still feel lost. I don't really understand why I'm still doing these things. No real breakthrough, no real results, some awareness coming through, but but just feeling still stuck and still not having the answers that they were looking for. And I started doing sessions and and people were having these huge shifts, huge releases, these incredible results. And I didn't, you know, I didn't really think about it. I just wrote it and I was like, Oh, cool. Amazing. Like I just, I just must be really good at doing this. Like that, that's, that's great. Like amazing. I can, I can actually do this as a job. And then it just kind of kept happening. And I started to ask like, why, like, why is this happening? And then instead of being something that I you know, the focus of being, okay, this is a celebration. This is great. It started to frustrate me. It started to make me annoyed that like, this is broken. Like something feels broken in therapy, psychotherapy, psychiatry. And I started researching the models that were being used, CBT, um, NLP, and and the different modalities. And I could, it was really obvious to me seeing this gap in the mind body soul connection. And I realized that I was bridging this gap for people. And I didn't understand why, like, why was no one else doing this? It seemed so obvious. And so again, I started getting annoyed. And it, it was one of those moments where you know, when you start to, instead of like really knowing something, you start to embody it and you can't stop thinking about it. And it's like, it becomes a, a normal part of your life. So I'd be walking around in the world and I'd be like, why can no one else see this? And it, it kind of became an obsession. And and I read a lot and I listened to a lot of podcasts and, um, I realized uh, actually a turning point, a huge turning point was a book called Cracked, um, why psychiatry is doing more harm than good. It's absolutely fantastic. And I came to realize that actually there are other people talking about this and this gap between therapy, somatic work and energetic work needed to be filled. And I remember talking about it to my teacher for the (laughs) millionth time. I remember him saying, Amanda, stop criticizing it and start building it. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) oh, okay. I'd just rather criticize it. (laughs) To build it feels too scary. Um, And, you know, the moment he said it, as with any truth, I felt it in my body and I was like, okay, this this is what I'm actually here for. Like I am here to create this new model. And uh, in the end, I did something about it. And now I train people and am teaching people how to bridge that gap, how to create a new way of treating clients.
1: I love it. I love it. I love it. And it it leads me to something I really wanted to speak to, um, with you, which is, you know, I, there's such a, how do I say this? There is a way in which you are really owning thought leadership in this space. The way that you break down the bullshit, right? You cut through so much of the noise that can be in the, In the coaching space, in the online space, in the healing space, it's really powerful. And what would you say, you know, as part of that thought leadership, because you absolutely, you know, are, and it's, you know, so beautiful witnessing you as that thought thought leader, what is the message that you want to share with the world?
2: I think that there's a new way, the old way is broken and it's actually doing more harm than good and there's a lot of fear around creating a new way because we're so entrenched in the way things have been done before and i would say that rather than focusing on the fear and how do we dismantle this and how do we make this change we focus on what what we can gain what the future looks like and how many people can be liberated and set free and it's not overcomplicated. I'm teaching this at the moment. And every time I teach something, the students are like, oh my God, that's, that's so simple. Or I love that technique. That's beautiful. And it's because there's, there's beauty in simplicity.
1: Yes. Yeah. Oh yes. Tell me how, what's, what's next for you? Tell me how you're activating this sort of leadership in the world
2: yeah so i'm becoming more more and more vocal online about the fact that the system is cracked <laughs> and starting to share you know i mean it's difficult to to share uh, something that i could talk about for hours and hours and hours in a small snippet of information but that's my that's my mission getting this information out to the general public to inspire them to start looking at alternative options to healing and to start feeling like they're not alone there's nothing wrong with you it's the system that's broken not you um so training people to work with clients that have trauma uh energy work teaching people how to do inner child work reparenting and how to help people heal on a mind, body and soul level. That's, that's my mission. Beautiful, beautiful. When is the next, when is the
1: next opportunity for people to do that with you?
2: So the next intake is May uh, and I've started, uh, I'll wait. (laughs) Hang on. I don't know. Can I say this? On your yeah. podcast, yeah, yeah. Okay, so maybe we just edit this bit. So what what do I say? How could I say
1: it? So I'll say like, "What's next for you?" And I you know, just go in like, "The shamanic um, practitioner training is yeah, yeah,
2: okay." Wait, so so can you ask me again? How people join? Is that what you asked?
1: Yes, but I think I should do it under like, "What's what's next for you." And then you can be like, well, I'm launching, you know, the second round of, yeah? Yep. Okay. Okay. So what's next for you? What does 2023 look like in your world?
2: So my focus is on getting this message out to more people to know that uh, they're not broken. They can be, no, wait. I've got, I've messed it up again. I'm talking about my training, aren't I? Yeah. 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 We'll keep okay. the rest because I loved that. Okay. Um, so just say the next round. So can you help me? Yeah. So I would I say. Ju- I think I feel like I'm not uh, like, okay, you're asking me. So I have your permission to share this on your podcast. I think I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to talk oh, about yeah, my training.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. we can do it a different way. I can say, um, where can people find you? You know, no, I, but, that's the
2: question that you're asking. I just, it's good for me to give myself permission to yeah. say what you're
1: asking. So, what's so, next for you? What does 2023 look like? I would say, well, I work with clients one to one, and for you know, coaches, healers who want to further. That's when I have. Practitioner training next one launches in May, which we're enrolling for now.
2: Yeah, amazing!
1: Oh, this is good and edgy.
2: Okay, it's good. Yep, yeah, I've got
1: it from the top. So, Mm -hmm. what does what's next for you? What does twenty twenty three look like in your world?
2: So, I work with clients one to one. Uh, I do couples sessions as well. And in May, I'm launching the second round of the Shamanic Transformation Academy, which is teaching coaches and practitioners how to revolutionize their work and to bring the mind, body and soul into their practice to create transformational results. Mm,
1: Juicy, juicy, juicy. Last question. I love asking this. It's always the last one on the list, but what does being a magnetic woman mean to you?
2: Mm. I think being a magnetic woman to me is less about striving to make things happen. This mentality of like pushing and uh, dominating to get what we want, this work hard uh, culture. I think it's about things coming towards you. It's about vibrating in your highest essence and your truest version of yourself so that things come towards you. Delicious, juicy opportunities, wonderful relationships, wonderful experiences that completely transform your life. That's, that's what being magnetic means to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
1: flow, delicious, delicious. You know, it's my new favorite word. (laughs) (laughs) can't stop. It's like, look, if it's not delicious, I'm not doing it.
2: (laughs) Good. Put it on the delicious meter. How delicious is it? How good is it? Do I want it? Yeah. Yeah. So true. So where can people find you? So my website is www.builtfromthefire.com. I'm on Instagram as Built From The Fire. And they're the best places to catch me.
1: Beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
2: Thank you so
1: much. It's been such, such a
2: pleasure and a joy to have you. Um, Thank you. Thank you.